You're listening to the Habitology Podcast with Melanie White, and today's episode is called Four Legal Essentials for Business. Are you unclear on how to be legally compliant and protected in your business? Well, this episode is for you. Today, I'm going to answer some questions that have come in from my students in my Passion to Profit business training program, and also from some of my private business coaching clients who have been asking me about what the legal essentials of business are. Now, I'm sure that you're aware of why it's important to operate your business in a legally compliant way. So rather than go into depth there, I want to get right into some of the basics that you need to have in place so that you can do that. So in this episode, I'm going to talk you through four areas where you need to be legally compliant uh, or protected so that you can operate your business in a safe, professional and obviously compliant way. So while I talk about this, I'm going to walk you through some of the key areas that you need to focus on. And I'll also give you some links in the notes for this episode so that you can go and get more information. I also want to point out that I've previously published a podcast on must-have legal agreements for coaching businesses, and I'm going to include a link to that episode as well. I also hope to secure a special podcast guest on the topic of legals in business in future, more to do with Australian business law and other things. So if I can secure that person, you will be hearing about it here. Stay tuned. Let's start at the beginning with the first legal essential, which is obviously appropriate insurance. I'm sure you realise that any practitioner delivering a service or even if you're selling a product, you need to have insurance that's appropriate to your profession and to the level of risk associated with it. And as I mentioned, this could include the sale of products. Now, regardless of what you're selling, there are two types of insurance that you would normally buy in a package. The first is professional indemnity, which could also include medical liability, depending on what you're doing, and public liability. I want to explain both of these to you briefly now so you understand why you need them. Let's talk about the professional indemnity aspect first. Professional indemnity which could also include medical liability, depending on your qualification, is designed to protect you if somebody sues you for loss, injury, omission or breach of duty from using your health coaching services. In partnership with taking out this indemnity insurance about the way you deliver your service, it's essential that you work within your scope of practice Obviously, that's going to get rid of most of the risk if you're doing the right thing and working by your scope of practice. And you also want to improve, want to prove that it's your intention to work that way and that you are actually working that way. So how do you do that? How do you prove that you're working in the scope of practice? Well, this is where your company policies and procedures come in. Policies are documents that state your intention and they include statements about your scope of practice and the standards by which you deliver services and products. They could include cancellation and refund, your code of ethics for your professional area and those sorts of things. They state what you will and what you won't do. So it's really clear of your intention. Procedures sit behind the policies. 
They back up your policies by outlining specific steps that you need to take to ensure safety, quality, privacy, and those sorts of things in your day-to-day -day operations. For example, let's say that you have a procedure on how to deliver a coaching program. You could include in that procedure mention of needing to make sure that client records are stored on the secure server or, or those kinds of things. So just the wording that comes into your procedures and the steps that you take to, to demonstrate that you're trying to do the best, safest legal thing are going to help you. Note that policies and procedures are only really evidence of your intentions and actions if you're actually using them, if you're actually running your business in alignment with them. The worst possible scenario is that somebody tries to sue you. You have these great policies and procedures, but you're not actually following them. That shows, demonstrates that you do not have any intention of following your own standards, which could shoot you in the foot. So I want to be really clear about this. Definitely get your insurance for professional indemnity and back them up with policies and procedures that you can uphold and that you will uphold. I did mention that medical liability could be part of your professional indemnity, and this might be relevant if you're in um, functional medicine coaching or one of those more specialised areas. As a regular health and wellness coach, professional indemnity is probably enough. So that's the first part of insurance that you might buy in a package. The second part is public liability. Now, this is designed to protect you if a third party, in other words, a client, sues you for accidental injury or damage sustained while using your service. Here's an example. Imagine that you're holding a workshop in your home and somebody trips on your extension cord and they smash their nose on the side of your coffee table and it needs medical attention. Ouch. <laughs> Apart from you needing to get the blood off your rug underneath the coffee table, that person might decide to sue you to cover their medical bills and claim that you didn't take due care to provide a safe environment. Now, this is one of many scenarios that public liability would relate to, but it would be a common one that comes up, somebody tripping over and hurting themselves. So apart from ensuring safety basics for any events or services that you deliver, such as putting a slip-proof mat over your cords and tucking them safely out of the way of people's feet, uh, maintaining social distancing during COVID perhaps, it's really essential that you have public liability to cover you for these sorts of situations and many others that fall under the banner. When I was 14, I worked at a chicken shop, Big Rooster in Morley in Perth. <laughs> and one day a little old lady is walking on the footpath outside of the Big Rooster shop. She tripped over and fell and hurt her leg. An ambulance was called and a week later she tried to sue the company for having an unsafe footpath. Even though it wasn't their footpath, she wanted to sue them. So that was, I won't tell you how many years ago, but quite a long time ago. And this is one of the things that can happen just without any relationship to your service, but is definitely something you need to be insured for. I will also say that when it comes to getting an insurance policy for professional indemnity and public liability together, you want to make sure that your policy includes legal defence costs so that if somebody tries to sue you, you have adequate legal support covered by the insurance to defend any allegations made against you arising from your health coaching advice or process or service or business operations. 
Now, if you run a, a coaching business and if you're a member of our industry association, Health Coaches Australia and New Zealand Association, I recommend checking out insurance cover via what their offer is on the website. It's very affordable and it seems to be a bit cheaper than others around and a little bit more comprehensive. So I'm putting a link there for you to check that out on insurance. Some people may ask about the amounts of insurance to get and generally the insurance company themselves will offer you suggestions uh, about that. One thing I'll say is that if you are operating out of a premises, a hired space, you would want to make sure that the amounts you're insuring for professional indemnity but more specifically public liability are the same as what the main owner of the building or the business has in their insurance. The reason is that if something happened in that workplace that you don't own and the business, the client wanted to sue the business and they decided to counter sue you, you'd want to make sure you have at least the same amount of insurance cover that they do so that you can be fully protected. Okay, so that's the first area. I've gone into a lot of depth with that, but hopefully it makes sense. Check out the Hakanza website for more info. Number two is website disclaimers. And the question is, do all Australian websites need a disclaimer or not? Well, I suggest yes. Your website needs a disclaimer to prove that it's fit for purpose and also to state the intention of how the information that you provide on the website should be used. Most of you with a business will have a very simple website. There will be an about me page and a home, me, home page and a contact page, but you may also have a blog and you may also sell information products. And remember that you can't control how people interpret your words and ideas. So if you give opinions in your blog or advice, even inadvertently, a reader may decide to sue you because they experience some kind of loss or misfortune or health issue after reading one of your blogs or buying one of your DIY products and then misinterpreting the application. I'm going to link you to a great blog by a company called Legal123 that discusses this topic in depth. And they sell different sorts of terms and conditions for websites. I haven't used them, I'm not affiliated with them, but they seem to be um, fairly robust. Another one is termsfeed.com. They also create disclaimers for websites. Legal123 says that every website contains information and in most instances, there's a specific intention for that information on the website. A disclaimer will help prevent a viewer from suing the website and the owner for any loss suffered from taking the information and interpreting it in the wrong way. Let's just be clear, as a coach, you know that what you say may, may be interpreted by different people in different ways depending on the lens they have on while they're reading that or listening to that information. So you know that this is important for your website. Point number three is complying with copyright. So I want to give you a few facts about copyright and some, white, some things to be aware of. Firstly, according to the Australian Copyright Council, copyright is free and it exists the moment that you create something in material form and put it out into the world. There's a really great fact sheet that they provide, which I'll link to in the notes. 
So in other words, the programs, resources and the client worksheets that you create automatically have copyright applied to them. Nobody can steal that in, a in, in any legal way for, and take it and claim it as their own. When it comes to your website, the whole website is not protected, but the content that you create and add to it is protected by copyright. And similarly, if you decide to quote somebody or use somebody else's images or words, you need their permission to do that. Otherwise, you're breaching their copyright. So think about all of those great free images that you might use in your blogs or on your worksheets. What about those? They might come from websites like unsplash.com. What happens with them? Most of the sites that offer pictures, free or paid, or, or um, that sort of content, are very explicit about how you must use their information. Unsplash says that you can use their images for free, but they prefer you to attribute authors in your blogs. And they have a couple of conditions on use. For example, you can't sell their pictures or create a competitive site that sells images using theirs. If you go to something like the design platform Canva, you can access free images and have freedom of use in many in many ways, but there may be conditions on how paid images are used in a commercial setting. Once again, it's more about selling the image itself, but you do need to be really clear on what the rules are because every platform is different. The takeaway for you is this. If you're using images, text or music that someone's created, you may need permission to use it and you may need to source them, cite them as the creator of the content on your website but you will need to check the terms of use for that particular item. In any case, when it comes to text and quotes, don't publish somebody else's IP information, text, written content without their express permission, although you can make reference to it and you can hyperlink to their website and make sure you have a reference section in the blog or the article with a link to the source material of any published content that draws on others' work. Really essential that you do that. So if you're, let's say, publishing a blog with a recipe and you got the idea from someone else or you've adapted their recipe, you could say, I'm sharing this recipe. The original was posted on this website and you put the link to them and I've changed the recipe a little bit to make it more moist or more crunchy or whatever it is. So that would be a way to do that. I will mention also that in terms of music, if you're creating videos, there's a great website called bensound.com who has free and licensed music clips that are really useful. So I'll put a link to his website as well in the notes. The final area is client data storage security. I miss the days before the internet. I just really want to say that. <laughs> Life was so easy before the internet. All you needed is a lockable fireproof filing cabinet and a pledge to keep client records safe and secure for seven years before you archive them or until 15 years, at which point you might shred them. Security was so easy back then. And if you still operate in the card copy world and you don't do anything digitally, then that's still a very valid and the recommended way to afford privacy and legal protection and, and storage, identity theft, all those sorts of things, data theft in the hard copy world. A lockable fire, fireproof filing cabinet with um, 
client files in it. Easy. But security has beefed up in recent years and if you're working online in any capacity, you need to have good digital security. I'm not going to talk about email security here and privacy rules and all of the legislation that's come out in the, in the past few years. That's a whole other topic. But what I will talk about is the two parts to client digital data storage and security. So excluding emails, let's just talk about client documents. Firstly, you want to make sure that client sessions are stored on a secure platform in the cloud if you're using the cloud. Some of you may not be, you may just be storing documents in your C drive, which is different. But if you're storing stuff in the cloud, if you're in um, Google Drive or any of those, Google Docs or Dropbox or iCloud, you need to be really clear that the platform you're using is secure. The other thing is you want to make sure that your own computer is secure, whether it's a laptop or a desktop. I'm not an expert in any means on platform security, so I'm going to share a blog that I found that seems to be fairly independent and gives a great comparison drive between OneDrive, Dropbox and Google Drive. At this point in time, August 2020, that blog rates OneDrive as the best for security and privacy as compared with Dropbox and Google Drive. Even if you're not using the cloud to store client information, you need to ensure that your computer and digital data are secure. Individual businesses are less likely to be targeted or attacked by hackers, perhaps, but there is no guarantee. And so two things you can do to beef up your security are, firstly, if you're sharing files with clients via a secure upload and transfer program like WeTransfer, that's going to be the best option, and then move them off the cloud into your C drive or into an external drive that plugs into a computer that you can lock away in a filing cabinet. That's one thing is to have that transfer using a secure service and then off, off the computer totally onto a, um, off your, off the cloud, sorry, onto a C drive or external drive. That's one thing you can do. The other thing is it's critical that you have a firewall, virus protection and malware software to reduce or eliminate the issue of hacking. Malwarebytes is a free online trusted tool for scanning for and eliminating malware. It's open source and it's very effective and very reputable. I'll put a link to Malwarebytes as well. The other thing is that you need to make sure that your computer is secure in your house. You need home insurance to protect your, your household contents against theft or business insurance if you have that but you can also lock away your laptop if you have one in a filing cabinet. Desktops are harder to steal, but you need to have some sort of security in place to ensure that your computer is safe from theft. Wow, it's a lot to think about, isn't it? But let me just sum it up in under two minutes <laughs> just to reduce it down to a few key points. Aside from business law, which I'll discuss in a future podcast and legal contracts, which I discussed in a previous podcast, there are four essential ways to ensure that your business is legally compliant and protected. These are not exclusive, but these are the main ones. And they are firstly appropriate insurance, public liability and uh, professional indemnity, backed up by your policies and procedures. So that's number one. Number two is to have appropriate web website disclaimers in place. Number three is to be clear that you're complying with copyright when you use other people's materials. 
And fourthly, that you take the appropriate steps to ensure client data storage security. I've got all of these links in the notes to help you with these areas. And as I said, I'm not a lawyer, but I've been in business and around contracts for a long time. I've seen things go pear-shaped for others in really bad ways, starting from very innocent circumstances. And I've had a couple of near misses myself. So I'm very grateful that I'd done the right thing in both of those cases to protect myself from client misinterpretation or misuse. Let me be really clear. Most of your business activities are probably very safe, compliant and harmless. But I encourage you to safeguard that by putting the necessary legal infrastructure in place to get your business up to an appropriate standard of legal compliance and protection. And there's one other benefit of doing that. It demonstrates that you are serious about your business and about operating to a high professional standard. Clients that see that you're doing this are going to be drawn to working with you because they're going to feel safe and it's going to build their trust in you. That's it from today. A very dry and boring topic in my opinion and hopefully not too scary for you. Hopefully you have some ideas on what you need to do to make sure that your business is protected and that you can use the links provided to go and get some help in those specific areas if you need it. That's it from me to today. for today. Keep the questions coming if you want to hear about specific topics, uh, jump on in. And if you want to work with me in September 2020 on the topic of finding your purpose, that's the topic for the Habitology membership this month. So jump on in, the doors close, close of business 31st of August. So jump on in, I'll put the link in the notes as well. Just one more link. <laughs> Have a great week and I'll see you next time. Bye for now.